Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, this is Marty. And I'm Ro. And you've arrived in another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out lately by watching reruns of Criminal Minds, which I thought was a really good way to do it. Marty got herself a corkboard with some pins and some of that red yarn stuff. And anyway, she pieced the crime together brilliantly, figuring it out on the spot. Oh, yes. All crime. All crime. If you have enough pins and enough red string, (laughs) you end up full of pins and tangled in red string. But you will have solved every crime ever committed, which is what I did. Brilliant. Yeah, and let me just say that ordinary house cats uh-huh. are much more dangerous than you think. Do you know what? I have always suspected that. I think most people do. Mm. You get a feeling. I mean, I think that our instincts are good. I mean, the, the fact is that, like, it's been right in front of our face the whole time. All those balls of yarn that the cats are, like, <laughs> right. playing with, they're, they're solving crimes. They're trying to disrupt our solving of crimes as well. They're doing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing crimes and then covering it up by messing with yarn yeah yeah taking us right off the there you go you figured it out we figured it out together i'm so proud of us oh, that I was excellent proud of us wonderful too. but honestly Rowie, yes. what are you trying to figure out truly really do in your life in my life mm, yeah mm. well marty what's on my mind is 
like the whole conundrum of superfoods. Oh. You know, like, all right, turmeric. Mm-hmm. Go online right now and Google turmeric health benefits. You will find that turmeric will heal inflammation, will it help your heart, it will prevent Alzheimer's, it will cure depression, it will cure arthritis. And so then my question is, like, goji berries and turmeric, like, why do we eat anything else? Like, if is I mean, is it true? Is this a scam? I'm just trying to figure it out because there's all these foods. We're lucky. We live in a first world country. We have access to resources and there are foods aplenty. Mm-hmm. And if they're really so good, these superfoods, I don't know, shouldn't we be talking about it more or something? You know, I think it gets exaggerated. I think people get focused on like, oh my gosh, turmeric reduces inflammation and does all these things and forgets that you're also mainlining whatever else is out there and putting lots of other things in that might con- counteract it. I don't think anything you mainline is considered a superfood, <laughs> just quietly. <laughs> what? Wait, go back. That's my definition of a superfood. Makes you feel so good. No, but I remember telling a client once that uh, I'd read this study that showed that women were attracted to men who had different immune systems than the women. So you women go looking for a mating partner who has a very different immune system because the ones with the same immune system are going to be related to you possibly by <laughs> in your little band. No, wait, I have a point. And also your baby is going to get the maximum antibodies if you mate with someone who has different immunities, right? So mm-hmm. I told this to this client and he was like, okay, so how do I use this to get a date? And I was like, <laughs> dude, there are other factors here. He's like, no, no, I just have to have a different immune system. I was like, no, you need a different personality. (laughs) (laughs) It's, yeah, it's not super duper romantic. And foods are not super duper foods. This is what I'm saying. They're good. They just can't be that super or we'd all be, we'd all live forever bathed in turmeric, right? Yeah. Bathing in turmeric. Hmm. <laughs> I've just had a brilliant idea for well, a new business. <laughs> You're looking so yellow today <laughs> and smelling so spicy. Is it jaundice or is, is it, it just a turmeric bath? What if turmeric cures jaundice? So then if you have jaundice, but then you bathe in turmeric, the jaundice goes away. But the doctors are still treating you for jaundice because of all the turmeric. I would need like three balls of red yarn to figure that out. <laughs> Minimum. Well, we would have three balls of red yarn if it weren't for the cats. Oh, my God. See? It, I'm telling you, it comes back to them. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, so there you go. There you have it. Superfoods for me. What about you? What are you trying to figure out? I am trying to deal with having a baby who I suspect may be part... Um, Zeus. <laughs> Which... <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that. You know how in Greek mythology, all the people running around turn out to be part Zeus because Zeus was a sperm donor, clearly, <laughs> by whatever mechanism. I mean, as a swan, as a bull, as a guy, he was, he was definitely having babies. And uh, our baby, you know anonymous donor it could have been zeus and here's why i say this that 
freaking baby is so much stronger than I am. It's really quite terrifying. She's only, she's not even a year old. Yeah. And uh, I had a real identical, what a very educated, wonderful, oh, that person might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you pronounce debacle, 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 you are a wonderful person. <laughs> <laughs> and we respect you we respect. and your level of literacy. And Oh, we do. I mean, immense. This is an immensely literate person. Yes. Just. Just happens to pronounce anyway so debacle. it just so happened that last night Ro and karen were both out on an errand and i was i would be fine alone with hercules baby except that i've had this foot surgery and i'm gimpy right i'm only i can gimp i can limp around the house sorry point of order you can't have zeus and heracles you've got like which one no she's part zeus she mm -hmm. just like hercules was can't say Hercules if you're saying Zeus because then you're mixing a metaphor. If you're talking Greek, you have to say Heracles. Oh, Hercules is Roman. I'm not mixing a metaphor, dude. I'm mixing languages. A, a mythology. I messed up my languages. Yeah. My ancient languages that nobody speaks anymore. Yeah. So probably correcting you on it was the most nerdy thing I could possibly have done. Every now and then, the mask slips. <laughs> <laughs> And we see her as she truly is, super nerd, <laughs> with extreme emphasis in the classics. Okay, so Heracles, mm. I'm going to say Hercules because that's what we're used to. Okay, here in America. So, uh, I, so I have a bad foot. I am not any part Zeus. Could I just say that? I'm made mainly of like stuff people put together with gum. Yeah. So yeah, I have this and bad yawn. foot gum and yarn the cats built me and <laughs> so i say to rowan care no worries we've got this baby who is 98 99th percentile on height on head size on just general framiness she's just a big baby and she's strong mm. and she recently started sitting up crawling and standing like in one day she just decided to do all these things so i said and i'll be deadlifting 100 pounds exactly and speaking of deadlifting She's not the lightest thing that <laughs> no, God ever made. She's not. And if you, I am fine to pick her up, upper body strength still vestigial, but there. I cannot gimp around with the baby without hurting my foot. So how do I get the baby taken care of? Well, easy. I do everything on the floor. The baby and I will crawl together. We will roll together. I will change her diaper on the floor. Everything will be fine. So <laughs> off they go. And then it comes to me putting on her special nighttime diaper. And I can't do it on the changing table where she knows she will fall to her death if she wriggles too violently. She doesn't know that. Oh, my She doesn't believe God. it. This child was like, she's the, a master of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and many other martial arts. Mm. Putting on that diaper took me... I don't know, an hour and a half. And I <laughs> and I would I would get her like in position and I would grab for the diaper and she would do this flip that would flip me across the room. I mean it was and then she'd be headed out, you know, bum hanging in the air, just crawling <laughs> for the door. And I would grab her and pull her back and roll her over and she would flip again. It was like trying to anesthetize a dolphin or something. <laughs> like she was so slippery and flippery and strong. And finally, I got the diaper on her. I was exhausted. And I hear the dogs barking to go out mm -hmm. downstairs. Uh-oh. I can't carry the baby down the stairs to let no. the dogs out. The dogs are going to pee in the house if I don't get down there. So I say to Adam, who's the only other adult in the house, Adam, 
go down and let the dogs out to pee. And I, he was like, what? He was already in bed. Adam is Marty's son who has Down syndrome. He's in his 30s. He's a lovely man. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. Um, but he's not used to doing the job of letting the dogs out. No. For, and, and he's not, he doesn't like breaks in his routine. So he's in his bed already. And I'm saying, go let the dogs out. And he said, what? And I said, the bathroom. The dogs need to go to the bathroom. So then I go back. I wrestle the baby, try to get her little pajamas on i ended up putting the wrong leg of the, so she had the arms of the pajamas on <laughs> but she flipped so much that i put her one of her legs in the wrong leg hole and then after that trying to flip her over and figure that one out i i tell you so after about 10 minutes i'm thinking the dogs are going to pee everywhere so i run to see if adam's done anything and he's in his bathroom. <laughs> he's like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, he's just standing okay, in his own bathroom. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go into Lila's room. And I am going to put on her favorite song on my cell phone, which she never gets to play with, right? So I'm going to let her play with it. I'm going to go down and let the dogs out. So I leave in there. I say, just sit somewhere. She's not going to move. So there she's sitting transfixed by the moving <laughs> box. And I gimp down. I let the dogs out. They do their thing. It takes a while. They come back in. I gimp back up. And <laughs> I hear the sounds of, sounds of a struggle. <laughs> like muted yops and yells. I think it's worth pointing out at this moment that Adam works out twice a week with heavy weights and he's quite a buff man. He's quite strong, but yeah. he's also not that tall. So he probably weighs about 140, which is peanuts for that baby to pick up. <laughs> Nothing. I didn't know that. And the other thing is that Adam is a real gentleman. And as a real gentleman, he wears silk pajamas. Obviously. He's, he's very particular about asking for them as yeah. a gift one Christmas. And he black, wears black like a silk pajamas. Yeah, and smoking jacket, the whole thing. So he's wearing his black silk pajamas. And this provides no grip, no traction whatsoever against the carpet in Lila's room. So I, I hear muffled sounds of a struggle. I come in. Wait, why are the pants needing to have grip? You'll see. All right. So they're on the floor. And what I, I walk in to see, and they're coming out of the room, Lila in command. <laughs> She is crawling along and Adam is flat out on his face, stretched out, and she's dragging him. He's holding her by the ankles and she's dragging him out of the room. He's doing everything he can. He's trying to hook his feet onto furniture and stuff, but he's wearing silk and it just glides. <laughs> And when you told me this story last night, I didn't realize that he was lying flat on his face. Flat on his face, trying to hook furniture with his ankles. And that baby is like, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming. I'm going to commit more crimes than all the cats in Christendom. And uh, yeah, I got there just in time and Adam wouldn't even speak to me. He was so mad at me and he doesn't get mad. But he was like, can I go now? <laughs> now that you've stripped my last shreds of dignity from me yeah. and my silk pajamas. So I've got no answers. I mean, if I'm ever left alone with that child again, God knows what's you know, going to happen. Marty, I feel very vindicated by this because for nearly 12 months, every night, Lila and I go into that nursery of hers and later on I come out about an hour later mm -hmm. I come out just looking like an ordinary person <laughs> and you know I don't usually talk about what happened you guys don't usually ask <laughs> and 
now you've had a little taste of it. I know now why you don't talk about what happened. <laughs> the first rule of Fight like, Club. <laughs> you weren't there, man. You weren't there, man. You could not understand. Yeah, it's something going on in there. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm worried about like her showing other uh, quasi-Greek god traits as she ages. But I, I just, super strength is enough for me now. I, I've got to figure it out. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. Okay, well, what are our listeners trying to figure out? Yes, what are you trying to figure out? Can I just say, I am obsessed with you freaks. Absolutely. You are so funny. So we, I put a little call out on Instagram. If you don't follow me, it's at Rowan underscore Mangan. Uh, it should be a link in the show notes. Uh, so follow me because before we sit down to record one of these, we usually do a little call out. What are you guys trying to figure out? Yeah. And then we get inundated with these totally bizarre things. And I just, every single one that I read, I just love you all more. Mm, some of them are real and it makes my heart just swell with joy and love and some of them are hilarious and that is even more hilarious more joy and love yeah if you're someone who like <laughs> who wrote you were trying to figure out some tragedy in your life I'm not saying that you crack me up <laughs> I promise I'm, I'm really not but you know here are a few highlights from our recent um, communiques from yeah your- so Crystal's lamb says she's simply trying to figure out duality oh my god that's not a problem and oh my god this is where my nerd meter goes mad because i have studied much philosophy and what all so i just want to say and this is not going to be very funny but whenever you have two things what matters is the third thing in which they exist so i may tell you this is when i when i was taking art uh in college my favorite professor said every time you draw two things it's the third thing that matters most and I was like what and it's like if you draw say an apple and an orange and you put the or let's say two vases and you draw them and you're focused on the vases what you don't realize is that the space between them you know that whole optical illusion faces vases thing uh where the two vases make a face or two faces looking at each other Mm -hmm. the third thing is the field in which the two things exist. And I could go on about Chinese philosophy on this. There's only one other thing I want to say because it's a perfect example of how liberating this is. The third thing, uh, it's an Eckhart Tolle thing. You know I love Eckhart Tolle. He says, um, death is the opposite of birth. Life is not the opposite of death. Birth is the opposite of death. Life has no opposite. So birth and death are in duality, but life is the field through which forms go into life and then out of it. Birth and then death. 
It's the third. It's always the third thing. Always look for the third thing. And that's all I'm going to say. And it's not funny. But I think about it all the time. And that's kind of funny. It's so interesting, Marty, because the way that I was intending to handle Crystal's Lamb's simple duality was just to, like, take a massive toke on my doobie and go, yeah, man. (laughs) I know. What if we're all just like part of some guy's dream? Uh, uh, man. You can still do that. Oh, you did I just it. did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the question really is: you've got Roe, you've got me. What's the third thing? The most important thing? Yarn. You? No, not yarn. <laughs> the listeners. Oh. See, not yarn. You've been in league with the cats, have you not? <laughs> I have. We'll get to the next question then. So M. Shans, this, oh my God, this cracks me up so much. So this is, (laughs) it actually is quite on the topic of like evil cats and stuff because there's something going on in M. Shans' building. This is what she says. My neighbor's dryer runs 24-7 comma. What is she drying? Question mark. I'm allergic to scent space comma. The end. <laughs> and it's just like she's just decompensating as this story goes on, you know. It's like, so why, what, what is so wet that it has to be, I mean, it's like a koan, you know. What is so wet that it must be dried 24-7? Meditate upon it. And also, she's allergic to scent. She's allergic to all scent. <laughs> That's a problem. Is the is the dryer emitting a scent or? I guess she's trying to say in a fewer characters the scent that is emitting from it. Right, right. I don't yeah. know. It's just. I mean, look. I don't want. I don't want to be the first one to say body parts. Well, but, I was thinking. You know, we're all thinking all the, it in the mafia movies. They call, oh, this is so gross. When they're going to kill someone and chop them up, they call it wet work. Yeah. And they have to wear special pajamas for it or something. (laughs) Special pajamas for wet work. (laughs) So terrible. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping those pajamas have like little lambs and stuff on them. Lambs to the freaking oh, slaughter. Yes, there it is. Okay, Crystal's lambs will not appreciate that reference. Anyway, um, M. Shans. Yeah, so body, I'm sure it's body parts. Yeah, it's body parts. Definitely. I think you should move out. So, Jessica, our friend of the show, says, <laughs> um, and I am just so <laughs> with you on this, girlfriend, why does my nervous system react to the doorbell like it's an intruder? But I know it's Amazon. <laughs> Tell us, Marty, what's going on. Well, my on there? question is: Does the nervous system react in both ways? Because whenever it's Amazon, I'm like, "Oh, prezzies for me!" And so, but then I also I have the curses a human and the the conflict between mm. the two, wanting my prezzy but being afraid of people in general, mm. is a really. I think that's just that's just normal, right? Yeah, it's sort of like our dogs. You can see it in the dogs go Definitely. running towards the door, like barking furiously, like, don't you get in my house. But at the same time, their tails are going, will you, will you, will you come, friends, friends? <laughs> <laughs> then they're like, rah, rah, rah. Like, I like you. I like you. I will lick your ear. I am already licking your ear. Oh, it is Amazon. 
um, the Amazon people don't like us. No, but it's really interesting because people who meditate don't react to the doorbell that way. But people who don't meditate get more and more, their brain goes more and more in the direction of reacting with alarm. And if you have an alarm clock that's set like a bell or whatever, you get hypersensitive to alarms to the point where like mice who are tested on this, they are given alarm clocks and told to set them regularly. <clears throat> no, the scientists set them. But those poor little mice, I saw an illustration in one study. Oh, God, please don't. Oh. It was all the mouse parts of a mouse that had grown up without alarm clocks or doorbells. And then all the mouse parts of one that had alarm clocks and doorbells. And it looked like the second one had been freeze-dried. I mean, its organs were not healthy. I think their fain in M. Shans is drier. I think so. That that would totally explain it. Well, all I'm, I just want to say to Jessica, if you don't start meditating, your bra brain will explode with its conflicted alarms every time the doorbell rings, and you'll end up uh, in, in M. Shans' dryer um, with all your bits shriveled to tiny desiccated raisin-like objects and i want to disagree in the strongest possible terms to mm. what marty just said because i think the buddha himself would still at the prospect of someone coming to visit would still like freak out and true. jump under the covers and say i'm not home that is absolutely true he lived in a time without clocks or, or doorbells he was in the jungle well, that's why he attained enlightenment. No Amazon deliveries. There you go. So, Jessica, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Get some yarn. So, as you all know, this podcast is about helping people from bewilderment to bewilderment, from the confusion we all feel in life to your wild, true nature that knows what you're meant to do. And uh, this episode, we have... A particular we have a, a subject about which we feel great passion yeah and it's a funny one because it doesn't on the surface seem to be particularly cultural but once we started thinking about it holy moly we are talking about sleep <gasps> sleep yes yeah, sleep man and it is gnarly how much um how much cultural messaging we have around this thing that should be quite simple. You know, it's a biological necessity mm -hmm. and somehow it's been turned into some sort of moral, what, like moral judgment on your... Absolutely. I mean, there is so much shaming that goes on around when you sleep, how much you sleep, how deeply you sleep. I mean, it, and you're right. It's just a simple biological imperative. And yet, oh my God, we don't even, we haven't even begun to examine all the cultural pressures or, that are on every single one of us surrounding sleep. And it wouldn't be a big deal, except it's so freaking important. Yeah. Like, and also I would say, you know, that we've had these discovered these little things um that are in our culture as in doing this podcast there's just been a couple where we find that nature has been or culture a cultural idea has been mistaken for nature so completely yeah you know and what i mean by that is that uh these these moral judgments about needing to sleep a lot or sleeping more or fatigue or any of those sorts of things 
we see it as though it is, and you know, it's wrong by natural law. Right. It's biology framed as moralism. If you need more sleep than I do, you're a bad person and should be ashamed. And you should stop sleeping so much. And you should sleep early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Unless your circadian rhythm doesn't run that way, in which case it will make you dead. Yeah. That, that's the thing is that the, the consequences of the moral pressure on how we sleep are biological. Is, did I once hear you say something about, you know, we have different circadian um, rhythms so that someone's always awake to keep an eye on, you know, the the sort of that's, the safety of the unit? That's the people? evolutionary logic of right. it, right? Like if you have a tribe of people and they're in the wilderness and there's only 50 of you, um, it, it really helps to have a few people who just can't sleep until three in the morning, just when all, another small contingent is waking up going, that's all the sleep I need. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have somebody watching the fire all the time. So there are biological reasons and it's, it's very well understood scientifically that we have different needs and sleep cycles and all that, but put it in the cultural framework and who. You get beaten about the head and face for not sleeping correctly. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this book um, that I read when I was pregnant. It's called Nurture Shock and it's just a sort of um, – there's it's a, di- a survey of all the different new science that's coming out around kids mostly. And there's a chapter in there that's specifically about adolescence and sleep and the the way that adolescent bodies, the melatonin works and everything, um, so that they are for that period of their life, they they are programmed to go to bed later and get up later. And then we build our schools that they have to be at school at seven AM or whatever and they're all they can't learn. They can't retain, they can't form memories, they crash their cars. But anyway, so so it was such an interesting chapter about sleep. And I just wanted to read this little quote out, if you don't mind, that I Go pulled out it. of it. it. said, I think this is like the, it sums up the, the culture nature split around sleep. So it yeah. says, sleep is a biological imperative for every species on earth, but humans alone try to resist its pull. Instead, we see sleep not as a physical need, but as a statement of character. It's considered a sign of weakness to admit fatigue and it's a sign of strength to refuse to succumb to slumber. And that Mm. is it, right? That's it. My gosh, there it is right there. Sleep is weakness. And I I was going to read a quote from the book that I read about it, (laughs) um, which is by a a psychiatrist. Yeah, um, fabulous, brilliant guy. He's published over 100 papers and he wrote this book, Why We Sleep. His name is Matthew Walker. And... um, I was going to read out a piece of it to say, here's what happens to you if you don't sleep enough. And Mm. I read it to Ro and she's like, we're not trying to mortify and terrify our listeners. That is really scary. Because seriously, I will say this. If you started smoking, um, started base jumping as a hobby, um, drank too much, if you did pretty much every bad thing people tell you not to do to your body, it wouldn't have one-tenth the impact that not sleeping enough has. It's, And even like amoebas sleep, plants sleep, and one species on Earth says, well, that's just not okay. Why? Why? 
Why do you think it is? Well, I think, well, now I'm going to switch to my sociology hat because it's so fun for everyone in the room when someone puts on a sociology hat. Well, it's so colorful. (laughs) Yes, so colorful. And mine has jewels. No, but if you look at the cultural pressures around sleep, if you're in a hunter-gatherer group, the pressure is not there. Somebody's, and I've talked to people in South Africa when we're there who go out and live in the bush and they say, you know, somebody's always awake. Somebody's stirring the coals with a stick. Someone's, and then somebody will get up to talk to them and somebody else will say, oh, no, I'm tired. And the second one will say, "Uh, that's good. I've got it. Go to sleep. So everybody's differing circadian rhythms protect the group, as we said. But when you get, and even in agrarian society, it's like, all right, go out and plow the field whenever. But when you get to manufacturing, when you get to the industrial revolution, Mm. Everybody has to be in the factory at the same time doing their work at the same moment. So it's so interesting because there's always this moment where we try to make biological units, human beings, into machines. Machines, yeah. And we talk, it's so funny how the Industrial Revolution comes up so often in this podcast because it's like that's where we left our true nature mm-hmm. when we decided to be cookie cutter, one size fits all, cogs, you know, and not – and the roots of that culture in that those early factories are still the vine that's growing and we're on it. We're part of it. Like mm. that is our cultural foundation. And I, this, there's this horrible thing that happened when factories became common. They needed people to be at work at a certain time and they would blow the factory whistle. But to do that, they needed everyone to wake up considerably earlier. So at like five in the morning in some little manufacturing town that has like a woolen mill or something, at five in the morning, a horn sounds that is so loud that it wakes up every single person in the village. Oh, my God. And that is what life became for people. And it messed with their head. As I always say, this is when Henry David Thoreau said, uh, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think they're just sleep deprived. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we are not machines. But it seems like there's there's also a kind of, religious quality to the to well the, there you is must never sleep and deprive yeah the ascetic religions and let's not forget that the whole american thing was not only about the industrial revolution but also about what max weber called the protestant ethic which means you have to work and work and work and work and work the puritans you know no fun no no buckles we always put buckles on they didn't have buckles buckles were too good for them In my <laughs> day we didn't need buckles <laughs> exactly and uh, i i'm not I don't, I'm not aware of any research saying the Puritans wouldn't let themselves sleep, but I sincerely believe that they probably had judgments around it. Because <laughs> the thing about all ascetic religions is that there's this weird perverse thing in human psychology that says if it feels good, it must be wicked and self-indulgent. And if it feels bad, then it's for sure going to get me to heaven where I'll be happy forever because right. I suffered so much. Right. Like the Catholic grandmother wearing two cardigans in the middle of summer so that, you know, to set herself up for a greater reward in heaven. Is this your grandmother? No, it's another grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about, um, we heard about a certain very famous order of nuns um, the famous around the world did so many good things for the poor, but they also beat themselves with whips in the uh, in the bathrooms of the mon- of the abbey. Yeah, it's a funny thing that our little brains do, isn't it? Like doing this backwards thing instead of feels good, 
probably is good. We do feels bad. Probably good. Oh, gotta be good. Must be good. I swear to God, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I have made an entire career out of saying the following thing to people. And you follow closely, listener, because people are always mind blown by this. Okay, so listen carefully. When you do things, notice how they make you feel. If they make you feel good, maybe do more. If they make you feel sick and bad and decrepit, maybe less. <laughs> That's it. That is the entire message of my self-help career. And people are like, wait, what? But in fairness to them, if you start going, I love sleep. It feels really good. I'm going to do more of it. People are going to hit you with sticks. Oh, they will. They will hit you with sticks, rocks, judgments, all kinds of things. Instruments of destruction. And don't even get me started about what they'll say to you online. <laughs> they will not approve. And even medicine. I mean, one of the craziest things, I've had so many clients who are doctors, and what they remember is being taught to exhaust themselves. I once asked a room full of 18 doctors, what's the worst thing you ever did to your own body? in order to become a doctor. And I asked this in the morning at an all day seminar and there were only 18 of them. We didn't get that question finished until one o'clock the next morning. Wow. Because they had been through so much torment and a huge part of it is sleep deprivation. Mm. And they talked about being forced to operate when they hadn't slept for 48 hours and they were actively hallucinating. And we celebrate that. Like yeah. we celebrate in like the whole thing about, you know, Grey's Anatomy or whatever, like all those medical school um, sleep deprivation stuff. It's like, that's, it's a badge of honor. Yeah, and it, I don't want to be on that table with that person exactly. with a knife coming yeah. at my organs. I know. I, I actually heard a doctor say, to, she said to her supervisor, if I open this man's chest, I will kill him. And he was like, if you want to be a doctor, get up there and operate. Holy shit. It's crazy. And then it even goes to letting people get well. I just read a book about neurosurgery that says people aren't allowed to sleep in hospitals. They're constantly being awoken so that they can be tested or arranged or whatever. And they sleep is the only time during which we physiologically heal, right? <laughs> wow. The yeah. only time. So my friend, Jill Bolte-Taylor, who's a Harvard neuroanatomist who had this massive stroke, um, lost the whole, like almost all the function on her left hemisphere. And she was, she says now after rebuilding her brain, she was so lucky to be surrounded by brain scientists who were her friends because they knew that we only heal during sleep and they let her sleep 15 to 18 hours a day. And she said, if I had been in a regular hospital, a regular patient, they would have woken me up constantly and forced me to stay awake when my body was screaming mm. to go back to sleep to heal wow. so that I could be stimulated by <laughs> things like having balls thrown at me. Do you think that's part of it? Like this, we, we are so obsessed with stimulation mm -hmm. that we can't, you know, like whether it's just because of being dopamine addicts or something, you know, that we, we just, we want to, we believe in stimulation as a, as a moral virtue somehow. Well, the, I think it all go, goes back to economics because the reason we believe in sti stimulation as a moral virtue is that it allows us to produce, 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 produce. Mm -hmm. And our culture sees continuous maxed out physical wealth production as the reason to do anything. Mm. So sleeping is an absolute no go with that. You're not producing anything that you can sell 
when you're asleep. Oh my God, you're so right. You're so right. So I still don't get though how this issue has the capacity to shame me so deeply because it still seems like if you're looking at it from the outside, even with everything that we've said, like the science is there, we really, really need sleep. You know, um, there's evidence everywhere that with sleep, everything goes better. Yes, there's Mm -hmm. no direct capitalistic, you know, join the dots kind of thing. But why, like, so I had a friend who, this is years ago, I told her that I had slept until 10 a.m. because I'd um, not been able to sleep. And I don't remember the words she used, but I remember just like she was so shaming about the fact that I'd slept in Mm -hmm. that I just like crumpled. And it's sort of, I don't, I can't on the surface see why, because when we're here in this conversation, I just feel like, well, F you, you know, Right. I, I, w- I was doing what I needed to do. I've got a different circadian rhythm from you, so screw you. But somehow there was a hook that yeah. that, that thing could put I into think me. It is Why the, is it? It's the weight of culture in the whole uh, – it goes back to the seven deadly sins. Sloth is oh, one of them. Yeah. And, and so here's the thing. If I want you to do something for me mm-hmm. and you don't do it and I call you lazy, I have – massive amounts of incentive to dump on you, beat you up. Like if I'm going to make you do something. So it goes to power and you can see how like groups of people have been designated lazy because they Mm. weren't doing what the powerful wanted them to do. I see. I want you to do something for me. And so if I want you to do something and you're not doing it, I'm going to scream and yell and beat you and do whatever. And the history of the world is the history of people doing this to each other. Is there part of it that's like the the sort of symbolic masculine versus the symbolic feminine you know like the the sort of the space of rest and silence and all of that I don't mean men and women I just mean right 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 the yin and yang of it all we prize things that are masculine and active and out there and you know and and we don't you know yeah anything that is recuperative that is nurturing that is building of life here's what's so interesting is real I could rant (laughs) I am ranting rant away (laughs) um but the history that we study is all about the history of men killing other people, mainly men. I mean, women kill people too, and that's in the history books occasionally. But the act of destroying is seen as very dramatic and productive, but the act of nurturing, which goes on in silence and continues over days, months, years, of every person that was killed by this one warlord. In was one, gestated. Yeah, it took hundreds and thousands of hours of nurturing and quiet and cell repair and anything you want to call it to build that and that's not part of history history is when we kill folks or we make stuff there is no sleep in history history is when we kill folks or we make stuff that's it guns and butter guns and butter sleep does not enter into it and you can get more guns going and more butter going supposedly if you just say, stay productive all the time, don't you dare go to sleep. I do love butter. I mean, I, I, I feel like I wouldn't be being completely in my integrity if I didn't say I, I think butter is fantastic and I'm mm-hmm. so glad that people get up early to make it cows. Not people. I was, <laughs> cows get up early <laughs> for my butter. 
Although I've always wondered. I worked for a week on a dairy farm when I was a kid. When were you going to tell me this? Oh, it was just a weird little field trip sort of thing. <laughs> it was a thousand years ago. You were a milkmaid and you never <laughs> told me. I'll never forget the, the woman telling me. I, I sat by my first cow. And... <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting by my first cow. Like it would, she would be by no means my last cow. <laughs> you never forget your first. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I was like 11. I didn't know even about lactation. I was like, hello. And, and here's this cow going, Bleh. And I think cows go moo. No. Sheep go bark. Look, that, I've spent no, a lot no, of no. bedtime. No, that's a lie. They go, Aah. ask one. Ask Lila. Okay. Ask your daughter. She right. knows. She is part Zeus, so I'll, I'll accept her word. But it is, it is undecided between us until I consult with the child. <laughs> anyway, so there I am by this cow, and the, the farm lady comes and she goes, grab her by the tits. <laughs> Thereby setting me up for a lifetime as a lesbian. <laughs> a socially inappropriate one. And I one. was like, she doesn't have to. There are no breasts on this cow. What am I supposed to do? Plus, how do I? I don't grab people by the tits. Or cows. Yeah. Turned out you had to grab them, scrub them, and then start squeezing. Yeah. Scrub them. Yeah, they're dirty. Cows been out there rolling around. There's mud on them. You don't want mud in your milk bucket. Speak for yourself. And then we had a, I had to do that because the machine was broken, but then they fixed it. And you just come up to the cow, you scrub her off, and then you have this cylinder thing that's like a, a, a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and I know what that feels like. <laughs> well, actually, so do I. But it, this was industrial strength. These were major. And there were four. And you'd put them all on at once. <laughs> And then the cow would go, oh, good, because it felt good. Yeah. But even then I wondered, okay, the cows have to be milked at 5 in the morning and then again at 5 in the evening. Why not 8 in the morning and 8 in the evening? Like the cows would adjust. And now having been a lactator myself on three separate extended occasions, I know that you can alter the time when the milk comes in. If you wanted to milk them at eight and eight instead of five, or five oh my gosh, people are going to attack me online for attacking the ways of dairy farmers. In fairness, like milking in the dark is not going to be. At five in the morning, it's freaking dark. Mm, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, yeah. all of this, just to say. Uh, the the whole thing is the thing that puzzles me is it's all skewed toward what are called morning larks. I didn't know this, which is, what they is were just called. like okay. So full disclosure, Marty and I are both not morning larks, though we live with one. Ooh, and who? Um, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're night owls. But can I just say, even for those of you who are like, oh, it's five a.m. I don't care. It might be dark. It might be not. I'm just up. You have to accept that the term morning lark is just, in its essence, smug and obnoxious as That's a term. That's true. Night also, and the morning lark. The night, here's what I think. I think that night owls have different personality types than morning larks. Because mm. we're never, just, we don't go up to a morning larks and go, 
Oh, you're tired already. Ooh, going to bed at 10 p.m. Ooh, tired. Why don't you stay up with us? That's no. true. But they will wake us up at 5 in the morning and write poor Richard's almanac about us. And everybody's <laughs> supposed to get up early. I tried so hard to get up early and go to bed early my entire life. And it just doesn't work. But here's another thing. She's, she's waggling a finger at me. I'll have you know. She's For all you morning larks good. out there who are going, oh, yes, I understand. I'll forgive you. you don't, forgiveness does not enter into it. Morning lark is not better than night owl. And here's the other thing. If they have a fight, uh-huh. who's going to freaking win that one? She I'm just up. saying. She stayed up all night planning this, mm, thinking with- about this fight between the lark and the owl. Yeah. A lark is not. A lark is going to come in. La, 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 la. It's five in the morning. Wake up. And the owl, if it comes close enough to the owl for the owl to reach it. Going to pounce. History. That's History will change. And I think the time of the night owls should have arrived by now. I think we should start like dominating. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it has, to be honest. I think the last couple of years um, we, everyone had to stay home and all those factory whistle kind of things stopped having the same kind of sway on oh, us that they true. used to have. And then it actually got to the point in our society where I used to um, – read about New York as the city that never sleeps and I'd be all excited. And then as I got older and tireder, I was just like, a city that never sleeps is not good for me. Mm-mm. Although I love New York. You guys, I love New York. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we reached the point where no sleep at all is considered to be the ultimate virtue. Yeah. Anita Franco once said, I live in New York, New York, city that never shuts up. <laughs> it doesn't either. <laughs> Yeah, like I remember there on the West Wing, the fabulous president, Jed Bartlett, the best person who ever lived in history. He goes (laughs) to a psychiatrist because he's not sleeping. And the psychiatrist says, how much do you usually sleep? And he says, "Ah, three, four hours. And I think you're meant to go, wow, that's why he's so cool. He only needs three hours of sleep. I wish I could be like that. Yeah. Instead, we all just felt like schmucks. There are those people, and I have read that those people who need three or four hours of sleep a night often end up being... Murderers. <laughs> cats. House cats <laughs> with their yarn and their grudges. <laughs> um, so, you know, but yeah, absolutely. We're trying to celebrate that not needing They end sleep. up in positions of authority. They do. Because they're awake and producing things and the rest of the people go to sleep. And that's rough on the rest of us. But... There is, a, there is a, an object lesson that you may be too young to remember. She's waggling again. Yes. The name Jessica Savage, does it mean anything to you? In, in full integrity, I, can, I will say only because you told me about her like yeah. recently. To me, I mean, this was when, when I was a kid and I was struggling with insomnia already and I watched what happened to her. Jessica Savage was this really up-and-coming young news person at a time when women were very sparse among, like, prestigious... <laughs> prestig- days when women were sparse <laughs> and women- men were men. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she was a really good um, broadcaster and... TV news is a very intense world, and she was r- rising in the ranks by not sleeping as much as anyone else. And after so she wasn't w- sleeping her way to the top. She, yeah, she was not sleeping yeah. her way to the top. Yeah. So er, eventually, this wears on you. You can do this on sheer adrenaline for a while, 
But then you're going to need some chemical assistance, which she started doing, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that stimulants. And there's a place where the brain just can't take it anymore. Mm. And it just so happened that Jessica Savage hit that moment live on live on TV, which is why it's historic. And you can look it up. She was, it's so weird because she looks peppy and she's like talking in this peppy tone of voice, but all the emphases start to go on the wrong syllable. And she starts, it was something about owning a hand handgun. And she's like, and everybody will be there. Who owned a handgun? And then she just started blubbering into the microphone and it was the end of her career. Like it, it tanked her. And she ended up dying by driving her car into a ditch uh, not long afterward, which probably was about sleep deprivation, too. You gotta sleep, man. Jessica, you gotta sleep. She's sleeping now. Yeah. She's sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> too soon? Never, never too soon. <laughs> you and I have both had pretty grueling experiences with lack of sleep, which is, you know, probably why we, we sound so bitter. <laughs> <laughs> in this podcast <laughs> exhausted and bitter yeah i mean i've i have never been a good sleeper from right back like from right back from baby from kid like even before i could have had a cultural like bone to pick with the morning larks <laughs> i um i didn't sleep well at night and i can remember oh being a teenager and and trying to and you know getting to school oh my, i'm just that absolute bone tiredness now i know thanks to Poe Bronson and someone else writing that book, Nurture Shock, that it was because I was a teenager, my body was still secreting melatonin well into the morning, trying to make me sleep. But no, I was on a tram headed for South Yarra. Why? Why? So, um, but I was thinking about a, you know, I, I periodically have had these, these times of ins like jags of insomnia where you, um, you... <laughs> You know the ones where I, like my body forgets to sleep and it sort of happens cumulatively so that I miss a bit of sleep and then over a period of weeks it just becomes less and less. There's actually a Stephen King book called Insomnia about this, about people who sleep less and less and less. There's a and film then, called Insomnia about it too. <laughs> I think Go on. I wonder if it's the same. Anyway, um, so I was recalling a time when I was living in Bangkok, Thailand, and I went into one of these no sleep times. And it was bad, man, because like when you're in a country that is, you know, there's a foreign culture, there's a foreign language, there's a foreign script, Every every sort of just minor interaction every day is is a little bit more difficult, as those of you who've done that will know. And so the first thing that happened was I lost my ATM card because I walked away mid transaction from <laughs> the ATM machine. <laughs> didn't take my money, didn't take my card. Off I wandered in a in a daze, and and <laughs> I can remember being in my apartment and seeing the just all of a sudden the floor just jumped up and turned into a wall and like came speeding towards me. There's a shot in that movie Inception where that happens and it, it just chilled me to my bones because that's what it was like. It's actually a lot like a weird movie like Inception when you're in mm. long-term insomnia mode. It's so surreal or like being on some kind of really nasty drug trip or something because – 
everything just gets really strange. I had to stop going to work <laughs> during that time and called in sick for a week because to get to my job that I did at that time, I was working in a little um, HIV AIDS NGO in the outer, outer suburbs of Bangkok and I had to catch a boat to get there. Now, the boat went along the canal that was at the end of my street, but it was a minor little street. And so it wasn't like a big one where like, so there was just like this little wooden jetty and I had to roll up my pants because the bow wave of the boat coming would slosh water up to my knees, but they didn't stop at my street. (laughs) They just slowed. (laughs) And, you know, there's, there's that level of like complex mathematics that our brains can do, like when you catch a ball or something that you can't consciously control but it's like this magical thing that our bodies do and that's gone that's gone when you're in insomnia land and i just i just knew i was gonna fall i'd be sleeping with the fishes (laughs) if i tried to get on that boat that moving boat and leap on with its bow wave and its dead monitor lizards floating around in there i would like to take benjamin franklin deprive him of sleep try to make him into a night owl and and then have him catch a boat by jumping into a canal in Thailand early in the morning with his brain full of hallucinations and melatonin. If any of you enjoyed the musical Hamilton and want a really lovely little gift, go online and find a song called, I think it's called Ben Franklin's song, um, that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote, but it didn't end up in the musical. And it is just such a happy happy song and it will change your life Ro, you are playing into the to the mass mentality by supporting benjamin franklin who said early to bed and all that and yeah but that song is about i stayed up late with a succulent breast or a thigh oh, diplomacy happens at night so he never it's he's saucy. one of those never sleep people all right okay i'm gonna try not to be bitter and because i tried i tried to be one of the no sleep people i could never fall asleep before three in the morning as a teenager and i just started hoovering everything vacuuming that is everything i wasn't sure if you meant eating like everything (laughs) in the house house. (laughs) no i mean i was raised mormon so we didn't have coffee or anything i didn't you just had vacuum cleaners we just had vacuum cleaners (laughs) and those were powered by mules um no, I would. I, I had to go to sleep, so I would take anything in the medicine cabinet that said may cause drowsiness, and it, <laughs> so I'd get stoned on whatever it was, but I would not sleep. Then I'd have to get up after no sleep, and I would try to take anything. I would take anything in the medicine cabinet that said, "Do not, you know, take it bedtime. This will wake you right up." And <laughs> I was, I was. It's a wonder I lived through those years. I was abusing drugs so severely without even knowing it, just because I was trying to make myself fit a high school schedule. Mm. Then I got to college. We never had classes before 10 a.m., which I think is very civilized. That's but true. that at Harvard, they also run you pretty hard. And I remember hearing a professor. There was a student come in, came in and, and moaned about she just wasn't getting enough sleep. And uh, she was she had way too much to do and could he give her an extension and he just looked up at her and he said sleep faster wow that was kind of the way it goes and then I had kids because hey it was all working out so well already yeah why not throw a few infants into the mix and while I, and that reached that was a crescendo like I was not sleeping to the point of 
severe everything. I'm not going to tell you the things in the book, but I will tell you every psychiatric condition, every physical condition, every every insult your body can suffer comes on you when you're not sleeping enough. And I was studying working moms and I read this one researcher. She said she went and researched parents who were trying to do full-time jobs and raise kids. Mm. And I'll never forget. She said, these people talk about sleep the way a starving person talks about food. Oh God, I know that feeling. And yet no one made any changes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's in that, in that book, the nurture shop chapter about, teens and um and sleep there's like a few school districts in the u.s that are desperately trying to get you know the 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 timetable for high school students changed just so that they you know stop crashing their cars and dying on the way to school like it's not even just you know and you can look the sats go it's just it's bonkers marty it's bonkers it's so crazy what's wrong with us Thank God we live in we live in relative obscurity and are afraid of people. Yeah, Amazon or no Amazon, Jessica Bingaman. Yeah, so that we I think we've established there's an issue here. There's a place where the culture is dividing us from our nature. I think we've done a pretty damn fine job. <laughs> I'm feeling of establishing quite that for clamped and teary myself about the whole issue. So. I just feel tired. <laughs> exactly. Very very tired. But so so how how do we come to our senses well i think a big part of coming to our senses is let's start by looking at the science i know i agree and let me clarify this because there has been some confusion among our listeners and people in general about coming to your senses as reawakening the wild part of you being the opposite of science it is not coming to your senses is exactly the same as science science is about observing empirically with your senses what is going on in the world and drawing logical conclusions that can be repeated. And that's what, like, a kid who's raised in the woods learning to make fire by herself is doing great science. She's doing experiments. Some ways don't work. Some ways do. In, in school, she'd be in a culture that says there's a secret question we're asking and all, all adults know the answer and you have to get it right or we will punish you. And, and if you get it right, we will reward you. That's culture. If you're actually interacting with nature, with your senses, you are doing science. So when people say to us, yeah, I, I, I got rid of all my, all that baggage about, you know, reading about viruses and vaccines and everything it's all just so cultural so I came back to my senses and now I just um, frolic about in the fields without any fear of or attention to science that's the a different part of culture that is sort of a new age um, sort of California flower child sort of culture but it's still culture if it separates you from what the senses actually report because observation, like let's say for example, vision, looking, that's a sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's Measuring still things. coming to your senses. Yeah, very much. It's coming to your senses in a very specific way. So this is all about science. The thing that's interesting about science is that it has a culture of its own. That's so that if true. somebody says, you know what, people really can figure out who's calling them on the phone at odds that are like a trillion to one against chance, and we don't know how that happens, the scientific culture says that's impossible. We will pay no attention to those data, mm, right? We will mm. not look at those facts. Mm. We will look at the facts that support what we already believe. 
So that's why they say science advances by old scientists dying rather than changing their minds. And that's the culture of science. So it's kind of confusing. But the science of sleep is unambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, Everything has to sleep. (laughs) Literally everything alive sleeps. There has never been a species studied at any level that does not sleep. So why would we think we don't need it? And we don't even understand why. Scientists know that everything sleeps, but they really don't know why. They don't know why we can only heal during sleep, why we have to go into this state of, of <laughs> it's really a great passage in the beginning of the book, Why We Sleep, where um, uh, Matthew Walker talks about, what if, what if you just had a baby and somebody came in to you and said, um, Ms. Mangan, you've had a healthy baby girl. Yay. And she will live a completely normal life. And as part of that, she will undergo... Every single day she will fall into a deep coma where she's unresponsive to virtually everything around her and hallucinate wildly about things that may may or may not exist, (laughs) believing fully that the hallucinations are real. And um, yeah, she'll spend a third of her life in this type of coma. And the mother would say, well, that sounds dreadful. Well, that's, that's sleep. And we really don't know why this odd behavior has to occur. We just know that it always does. It just does. Yeah. Yeah. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So, um, okay. So, but on a practical level, Marty, what, how do we actually come to our senses about sleep day to day, night well, to night, th- as it were? <laughs> there are a cluster of issues that we have to deal with um, to get the problem under control. And the first thing is just figuring out how do we know when we personally, I personally need to sleep? How do I know when I've had enough sleep? A lot of people don't know. I didn't know until I had a chance to sleep until I wasn't tired anymore, which happened when I was like, I don't know, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> how do I make the space to sleep as much as I want? And how do I deal with the cultural backlash? And I am here to tell you there will be a cultural backlash unless you're a person who only needs three hours of sleep a night. And then how do I deal with the times in my life when the realities of my schedule and the pressures of life don't allow as much sleep as my body needs? Because I'm sure that that's what a lot of people are thinking listening to this is, yeah, must be nice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Because I think, you know, one part of this is that the structures look so... Uh, like how can you argue with my job starts at this time, my kids wake up at this time or whatever your particular relationship with sleep is. But I do really, really feel like at that the, the first step with this is that we're all participating in a story about virtue and sleep and, and we all have the power to stop participating in that story, to tell a different story which is about sleep is so 
crucial to my health that and you know my health is crucial for all the other things if you want to frame it all up in terms of being a person who gives you can't give the way you want to if you're not sleeping so tell that story yeah or stop um you know like there's one thing that we do in our house all the time especially marty and me because we are these non morning lark types is it's always every morning we're sort of like oh yeah i'm really tired well the reason i guess i'm really tired because you know the day before yesterday you know how we yeah. do that like we why am i so why do i want to sleep yes yeah, well like, you've been awake a long time yeah <laughs> Now, I'm, I have to say that Karen, God bless her, is one of the few morning larks who lives to support us night owls. But every night at about 8 p.m., she goes, I'm so sorry. I just I'm feeling really tired and I don't know why. I'm just going to lie down and shut my eyes for a minute. <laughs> and we say to her, yes, honey, for eight hours, you will shut your eyes. <laughs> She's like, I'm not. Uh, anyway, so we always justify. We always feel like we need to justify sleep in our house. And if you can get into your own head the mm. idea that your own sleep is as important as, say, protecting the life of a child who's standing nearby, because it is, it's about protecting a human life, the quality, the quantity, uh, the, the, the capacity of a human life is based on how much you sleep. So you are doing this to save a life. Yeah. And yeah. if you can get that story switched, then the pressure of the society... It's just like once when I was traveling, I met a guy who said, you know, we think it's really weird in our culture that you Americans don't sharpen your teeth. We have a tooth sharpening ceremony and it's a big deal and everybody does it. And I was like, oh, yeah, we don't do that. I didn't go into some shame spiral and try to sharpen my teeth because yeah. it was just a cultural story. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you can get to the point where people are like early to bed, early to rise and you're just like, oh. Yeah, my, I don't do that. I don't do that. If you can legitimize that to yourself, you will then be able to make choices that take you to one of the lifestyles, and there are actually many, where you can sleep at the time that's right for you, most of the time, never always. But you can start to at least not be totally violating your own circadian rhythm to serve what you think is this omnipotent system because there are ways to find different schedules yeah yeah so start by unsubscribing to the story yeah and then just start noticing how you feel um it's like uh mary oliver wrote in the wild geese um and i always think she was talking about sleep as well as sex and food and everything else when she said you do not have to be good you do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting all you have to do is let the soft animal of your body love what it loves there so you beautiful. go. That is the cultural model that would work. Yeah. We <laughs> we saw some wild geese yes. a few days ago. <laughs> they went and they always they're so loud. They yeah. they talk while they fly. So we were I was driving along and this like small flock of wild geese flew, rah, 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 flew past. <laughs> and <laughs> and Rose spontaneously uttered what I think was the rough draft. Of Mary Oliver's wild geese. So I said, listen to that, Marty. They're just, they're saying, you do not have to walk on your knees. You have feet. <laughs> honk, honk, motherfuckers. <laughs> honk, honk, motherfuckers. Yeah. Well, we said the F word. We've never done that. On I think podcast. we have. Ah, I probably just don't remember it because I, I used was to tired. swear a lot more at the beginning because I was like quite 
into the idea that we could be sweary on this podcast. And then our own little culture yeah. of this podcast shamed me into becoming. We need to look at that. I me think too. the soft animal of my body loves saying the F word. It's true. Everything about the F word is nice for the body. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, let I mean, okay, <clears throat> I, I got to get back into the mode of helping people come to their senses. Right. I had this lifetime of insomnia and horror, and then I started keeping a journal where I would record how much I slept and what was breaking in my body, which was always breaking, how depressed I was, very, and I would just notice how it fluctuated, and I started to realize the amount that I need to sleep. Wait, I'm going to say it out, I'm going to say it loud and say it proud. I need, like, minimum nine to ten hours of sleep every doggone night or I am no good. Yeah. But I am perky as crap if I get that amount. Yeah. I have a perky 14 hours left in me. <laughs> and that's that just is. You can't story that. That just is. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember once when the Oprah show was the big deal, there was a woman on who went into a coma because she didn't sleep enough. You can't actually die from not sleeping, by the way. And this woman pushed it far enough that her body went into a coma and she stayed there for a month. And when she came out, she went on the Oprah show and she said, you know, the next time I need a vacation, I need to sleep, I'm just going to take time off work. And Oprah said, well, you can't just take time off work. And she said, if I don't take time off work by choice, my body will go into a coma. It's much less expensive to, to just drop off the grid for a month and to be in a hospital, in a coma, being cared for that entire time. So if you're having trouble justifying sleep, just remember me and drop what you're doing and go to sleep and find a way to make the world work around it. And, and even short of the coma scenario, go read that Culture Shock book and see Nurture Shock, Nurture Shock it's called, mm -hmm. and see what, just chronic sleep deprivation that you're coping with is doing to how much you, how your brain can operate, how your body can operate. Read and why we sleep. Why we sleep. You know, all the horrible diseases we're terrified of getting. Not sleeping sets us up for every single one. So, yeah, write it down. Start to experiment. Start to try to find ways. COVID gave a lot of us uh, our first chance to kind of decide to experiment with when our bodies want to sleep. Oprah herself told me that was a gift that she got from, although we all feel bad and horrible about the, the pandemic. She was like, I never tried that before, just sleeping until I woke up, whenever I, I felt like it. So it did give some of us, <laughs> who are billionaires, <laughs> no, um, but just the fact that we were in lockdown did help a lot of people um, start to figure it out. And let's not lose that. Yeah. Do whatever it takes to get the time that your wild self naturally needs to sleep because the culture on this is literally homicidal. Yeah. That and cats. <laughs> so whatever you do, folks, stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570 8730144 For more of us, Martha's on Instagram, the Martha Beck. She's on Facebook, the Martha Beck, and she's on Twitter, Martha Beck. Her website is marthabeck.com. 
And me, I too am on Instagram, Rowan underscore Mangan. I'm on Facebook as Rowan Mangan. And I'm on Twitter as Rowan Mangan. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.